This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 125 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. There have been a growing number of incidences of ransomware attacks targeting cities and towns across the U.S. Once they've been hit, cities and towns face a number of tough decisions. Pay the ransom, restore from backup, and all of this happens with a backdrop of needing to provide vital services to citizens. To add insult to injury, many cities and towns face tight IT and security budgets. They've been asking for more security and better backup tools, but are quite often being told the money is simply not there. Recorded Futures' Alan Liska knows a thing or two about ransomware. He's co-author of the book Ransomware, Defending Against Digital Extortion, and he recently published the results of some ransomware research he and his team have been working on. He'll share their findings, along with advice for keeping your organization safe. Stay with us. We really started to see a a big uptick in ransomware attacks in 2015 and 16. It's sort of coincidental with the rise in Bitcoin popularity. Um, Before you had solid Bitcoin infrastructure, ransomware was really hard to do. It was easy to encrypt people's files, but getting money in a reliable way that couldn't be drawn back by the authorities was a challenge. I mean, there's only so many iTunes gift cards or Amazon gift cards that you could use. Right. Uh, so, you know, it, you know, people were using Money Pack and, you know, uh, Western Union and, and MoneyGram, et cetera. But all of those had the problem that it was relatively easy to trace the money. You could get away with it for a little bit, but eventually those transactions were going to get caught, caught up. Hmm. So in 2013, well, you know, 2012, I think, is when the Bitcoin, you know, actually started coming into use. But in 2013 is when we started seeing some ransomware campaigns. But really 2015 and 16 with uh, Locky and Cerber, we started seeing just a huge increase in, uh, in, in ransomware attacks. And then it fell off a little bit in 2017. And that was because most of the ransomware delivered in the early campaigns were delivered via phishing campaigns, large-scale phishing campaigns where, you know, where these ransomware actors would send out millions of emails a week. Um, but uh, eventually the mail providers, so, you know, your free mail providers, Google and Hotmail and Yahoo, um, kind of caught up to that and were able to quickly quash it so that for the most part that ransomware wasn't getting through by the end of 2016 that that spam wasn't getting through and then slower to catch on but still faster the the companies that provide email protection for for small businesses medium-sized businesses etc that have their own mail server uh, they caught on it and, and that was blocked so it took a while for the ransomware actors to sort of uh, uh, transition tactics, and they moved from large-scale phishing campaigns to sort of more small, sort of handcrafted batches. You know, I like mm. to compare ransomware to a, a fine craft beer, right? You you <laughs> want it done in small batches and seasonally done, and 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 so on. Um, 
And then along with that, the advent of using remote access, so especially remote desktop protocol, open remote desktop protocol servers, et cetera, finding other ways to gain access. And so we saw a resurgence of ransomware in 2018 that's continued into 2019. Now, I, I seem to recall that there was also a shift to crypto mining, that that was, uh, you know, the hot thing for a while. And was, was there any cause and effect there or was that just coincidental? No, that, that absolutely. So as ransomware became left, less profitable, attackers were looking for other ways to make money. And the thought was, especially in 2017, we'll do crypto mining and you know, we'll get thousands and thousands of servers and we'll start crypto mining, and then we still have the benefit. So, so ransomware and crypto mining both have the same benefit. You basically start making money right away, um, you know, because the the with the mining, you know, you're you're getting your Bitcoin or whatever it is that you're uh, whatever it is that you're crypto mining for, whether it's Monero or you know, Jesus Coin or, or whatever. You know, so you get that money soon. You don't have to wait to sell anything. So you don't have to compromise still you know 100 million credit cards and try and sell that on the dark web or anything like that so mm. that's the benefit to both of them it turns out it's actually really hard to make money crypto mining there are a few campaigns that were very successful they infected you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of devices and they were very successful at crypto mining most of the campaigns didn't make a lot of money crypto mining so it, you know it, the 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 actors that switched from ransomware over to crypto mining, a lot of them had to switch back and find other ways to uh, make money, and that is, uh, you know, that basically boiled down to how can I make money off of ransomware again, and then readjust their tactics. Hmm. And so, where do we find ourselves today? What what are the the techniques that folks are finding success with when they're sending this ransomware out into the world? You know, a, a lot of uh, remote desktop protocol has gained in popularity. And then ransomware has become a sort of a second stage loader. So we see this with, say, the e- Emotet, which then, you know, e- Emotet uh, uh, will then, uh, as a loader, will then deploy TrickBot, and then TrickBot will then deploy the ransomware. So it, it's not... Here's Locky. Open up this email. Or, you know, here's this email. Here's this uh, attachment. Click on it, and bam, there's your ransomware. It, it may it may come in as a, sort of a third stage in, in the attack format for for the phishing campaigns that, that that are being used. And those phishing campaigns have gotten a lot smaller. So a thousand identical emails instead of a million identical emails are are, are being sent out to uh, are being sent out to potential victims. Hmm. Now, in the past year or so, it seems as though we're certainly seeing a lot of media attention to these governments, state and local governments, that are being hit with ransomware. What are you finding there? This is something you dug into with your blog post on the Recorded Future website. And it was really interesting for me because there are some some things that you found out that weren't what I would have thought. Like some of the some, I think some of the common uh, perceptions of this turned out to not be the case. So take us through what you discovered here. You know, one of the things that we discovered, we tracked um, o- over the course from 2013 through, uh, through September of 2019 now, um, we've tracked 223 ransomware attacks. These were all publicly reported. 
what we don't know is we don't know what percentage of all uh, ransomware attacks against state and local governments that, that comprises. We don't know if that's 10% of those attacks or 50% of those attacks, because one of the first challenges we ran into is there's no centralized reporting database. Like, for example, most of these state and local governments, when they are hit, they wind up reaching out to their local FBI field office. But the FBI doesn't centrally track all those reports that are being made, which means that we don't have an idea of what the, the big picture is. That being said, 223 attacks from 2013 through uh, uh, September of 2019 is a pretty big number. The other thing that we're seeing is that it is a problem that is getting worse. So, for example, we were able to track 54 uh, reported attacks in uh, 2018. Uh, we're already up to 73 reported attacks in 2019. So that's already a big gap, and there's still three and a half months left in the year. So, you know, we're, we're set to blow away the number of last year. So, so those, are, those are pretty big challenges. Uh, the other thing that we found, which was kind of interesting, is that state and local governments are actually less likely to pay the ransom than other entities. So research that's been done by other people have found that about 42% of all ransomware victims pay the ransom. Um, we were, when, when we first started doing the reporting, we were at 17%. That number's actually dropped a little uh, uh, in 2019, so that we're down to about 15% of uh, ransomware victims, uh, state and local government ransomware victims, actually will say they paid the ransom. There's 15% that um, we don't know whether or not they paid the ransom, and then 70% definitely did not pay the ransom. So, mm -hmm. We we thought that maybe there would be more uh, that paid the ransom, but in in our interviews and in talking to a lot of these uh, state and local governments, it's really hard to justify spending taxpayer money to pay the ransom. So even if there's an inclination to do that, because that kind of expenditure needs to be approved by either the mayor or the board of supervisors or the city council or, or whoever, um, nobody who sits on those committees wants to be on record as having authorized paying a ransom to get the data back. That's interesting. I, I, I can't I can't help thinking about, you know, if somebody had, uh, you know, kidnapped the mayor and were holding the mayor for ransom, what, what would the city council do in that sort of situation? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. That that's that, that you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, it's too. Uh, yeah, the, the 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 attitude would have, would be would be very different. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the interesting findings, though, is that you looked into whether or not these governments were being specifically targeted or not. So initially, no. I initially, what we saw was uh, that they weren't being targeted. They just happened to be uh, vulnerable to the ways the attackers liked to uh, uh, launch ransomware attacks. So in, in other words, um, it, you know, we talked about the shift from phishing to remote desktop protocol. Well, a lot of these state and local governments that don't have big budgets rely heavily on remote desktop protocol uh, for remote administration because they, they don't have the funding for a full VPN solution or, or something like that. So what they'll do, you know, so their victim profile 
unfortunately matched almost perfectly with the attacker profile. Now there's been a little bit of a shift because even though state and local governments are less likely to pay the ransom, they get outsized news coverage. So when you look at the attacks in Atlanta, in Baltimore, the, the 22 cities and towns that were hit in Texas, that got a lot of coverage. Um, and, and so, and we've actually seen this in underground markets where uh, people are trying to sell ransomware. What they'll do is they'll post the latest news story about whatever city is the latest victim. And then underneath, they'll, they'll post a tag with some of the big ransom, uh, ransomware payouts. So, you know, when you saw like in Florida with uh, Riviera Beach and Lake City that, that paid, uh, you know, 460000 and 600000 respectively, th- those will be mentioned in those ads for people trying to sell ransomware as a service as a reminder that, oh, yeah, you can make big money if you hit the right city. So hmm. that, that you know, even though, logically speaking, you're less likely to get paid by hitting a city or state government, there's this thought that, oh, hey, I could make a lot of money if I hit the right city or state government. Right. Now, what are you seeing in terms of the type of ransomware that they're using to go after these folks? Is there any consistency there or, or is it all over the map? It's all over the map. So it really is reflective of the ransomware usage at the time. So, for example, right now we're seeing a lot of Ryuk, um, but that's because Ryuk is one of the most popular ransomware uh, families that's uh, being delivered currently. Um, hmm. We're seeing a rise in uh, Sodinokibi, uh, which, again, is a lot of people view as the successor to Gancrab. And so we'd expect to see more of that. So there hasn't been a particular group that we can tell that's specifically targeting cities and states. Just in general, there's much more interest in them. Yeah, I mean, it's really an interesting insight that you have there that with the cities not being able to pay the ransoms, that it's, I guess you could see it as almost a PR move for the for the folks doing the ransomware that uh, to, to raise their uh, raise their profile. Right. It, and, and it absolutely does. I mean, so you look at the Robin Hood ransomware that hit Baltimore. Robin Hood had had one or two other successes and that's it. We hadn't seen a whole lot, but suddenly there was a there's a, a groundswell in the underground markets of people who had Robin Hood trying to sell that as you know, ransomware as a service. Because every time Baltimore was mentioned, the Robin Hood ransomware was mentioned alongside it. So even though it hadn't been you know, widely distributed and probably would have been a, a, a one of those ransomware that are sort of one-hit wonders, it gained a lot more traction in, in the underground markets, at least, because of the, the, the noise and, and the news that was associated with the Baltimore attack. Now... That being said, we still haven't seen a whole lot of Robin Hood, uh, you know, additional Robin Hood uh, successful attacks. So it's still not a very good, it's still not a very good variant of ransomware. It's just that, it, you know, it, it's just that there's a lot more interest in underground markets from it. Do you have any any sense looking at these statistics? Is the if I'm a city manager, I'm a mayor, you know, or I'm on a city council, those sorts of things is 
Is the amount of fear that I have of this in line with the actual uh, odds of this happening to my city? Yes. Uh, you know, so, yes, it, it's, it, it, there are, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of money going around for, for security in, in most of the smaller cities and towns. And even if you've been, you know, yelling about this for years, and that's one of the other things we saw in some of the interviews we did was we'd have city managers or IT managers who would say, look, I've been trying to get these, you know, the budget approved for this security feature or that security feature for three years, and it keeps getting pushed aside. So there is a really, there is a, a fear, and, and I think a justified fear that, you know, each city could be next and and that the right protections aren't in place to stop it. What are your recommendations then for, for the folks who feel like they're, uh, you know, they're at the center of the bullseye for this? What should they be doing to protect themselves? I always tell people, and, and it sounds kind of defeatist, but make sure you start with a good backup and make sure you're testing your backup regularly because Ransomware actors are always changing their tactics, um, and they're they're you know as they jump from one tactic to another, you may not have protections in place. For example, you know we had talked a little bit about the change to remote desktop protocol, but then the Texas attack happened, and Texas happened because the attacker infected a managed a managed service provider that then and then used that access to infect the cities, and we've seen that happen before. First time with municipalities, but we've seen that happen before to other places. And, and if you didn't have two-factor authentication in place for your managed uh, service provider, you could potentially be impacted by that. So have a good backup. Test that backup regularly to make sure that you can do a restore and, and that the data, you, you know what all is backed up and so on. That's number one. Make sure you're doing continuous phishing training to make you know to to ensure that your employees know what to look for, not look for in these emails, and to be sort of overly cautious with external emails. Uh, make sure that you are enabling two-factor authentication wherever possible. So, for example, if you have to keep uh, remote desktop protocol, although with BlueKeep now being uh, uh, with, with with a uh, now active exploit for BlueKeep, I would recommend disabling remote desktop protocol whenever possible. But if you have to keep it open, make sure you're using two-factor authentication. In fact, use two-factor authentication forever you can. And then inside of your networks, make sure you're doing proper segmentation. That was the other thing that we saw in a lot of these attacks where uh, a, a ransomware attacker will land in, say, the accounting department. But then they can get they have full access to the police department and the court system. Even in Atlanta, when the Atlanta attack happened, Hartsfield Jackson had to shut down its Wi-Fi for a day because the back end infrastructure for the Wi-Fi was connected to the city network and you know and completely uh, unobstructed. So make sure you're putting that segmentation in. There's no reason that anybody in accounting should be able to see all the servers and all the workstations in the police department or in the courts department, or in the courts system. That doesn't stop the ransomware attack. It does keep it from spreading. Were there any cases where these cities actually paid the ransom? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we talked briefly about uh, 
the two cities in Florida, one right after the other, Rivera Beach and Lake City, that paid the ransom. And then we also talked about, uh, or we didn't talk about, but uh, LaPorte County in Indiana paid 130000 ransom. Um, in July, the uh, Rockville School District in New York paid a $100,000 ransom. Earlier this month, the Wolcott School District in uh, Connecticut paid a $10,000 ransom. Uh, so, yes, I mean, there are definitely places. And the Wolcott School District um, uh, basically had no choice because they got hit right when school was starting and they would have had to delay the opening of school if they didn't pay the ransom. I see. Yeah, I can't help wondering if uh, communities will start putting together war chests or covering themselves with insurance to cover themselves for this, but also kind of, I don't know, shift that moral hazard as well. Right. So we've definitely seen that increase in cyber insurance. So we saw in uh, in July, New Bedford, Massachusetts was hit with a $5.3 million ransom. They bought in their cyber insurance company who tried to negotiate that down to $400,000. The attackers refused, and so they just didn't pay a ransom. So we're definitely seeing an increase in awareness of cyber insurance in the cities and states and using the cyber insurance to, to pay it. Because again, if you're the mayor or you're the city council or board of supervisors, all you then have to do is authorize the $10,000 or $20,000 premium payment. So you're not authorizing to pay a ransom, you're just authorizing the, the premium payment to your insurance company who then takes care of everything for you. Our thanks to Alan Liska for once again joining us. You can find his review of state and local government ransomware attacks on the Recorded Future website. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Zane Picorni, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.